Anyone ever heard of a blunderbuss? A blunderbuss. Apparently it comes from Dutch origin with the word donderbuss, which is a combination of donder, meaning thunder, and bus, meaning pipe, giving you thunder pipe, which, I don't know about you, it makes me smile. And if you know anything about guns, the blunderbuss had a short, large calibre barrel, which was flared at the muzzle, often down the bore as well, with the intent of increasing the spread of the shot. The blunderbuss was effective at short range, not requiring much aim, scattering everywhere with a chance of hitting everything in front of you. Now, when it comes to a short talk, it is the blunderbuss that I have in mind, because in the next 10 minutes, it isn't a long-range, well-targeted talk. It is a short-range talk, scattered with questions and prayers and tensions that are in my life and faith as, as I go into 2014. And what started it was this word, devoted, devoted, and desire to be more devoted this year, Lord. And that word devoted needs explaining. One definition says it means to give or apply one's time, attention or self entirely to a particular activity, pursuit, cause or person. But it is what follows the word devoted that completes the picture that is in your mind. For example, if I said I was devoted to steam trains, then you have in mind what that looks like, how that person is wired up. Whereas if I said I was devoted to extreme sports, then you have in mind different characteristics that strike you. Now, when I say I want to be more devoted to Jesus, your reaction to that very much depends on what you know of Jesus. And for us here, you may hear that and think, yes, that is me. I believe in Jesus. My life is centered on him and you're with me. Equally, you may be here and think, Jesus who? Jesus, what? Jesus, why? Maybe those are the the two extremes of the reaction. And why I say next, I want to push all of us, all of us, because we're all capable of devotion. It is a basic human urge. If you think on it, we're all devoted to something or to, to some person, often to a number of things or to a number of people. It doesn't require knowing God to have the capacity for devotion. We've all got it. And even with the completed phrase, I want to be more devoted to Jesus, your view of Jesus will determine your reaction, your your passion for what I've just said. If what you know of God causes you to to think is out to get you, to show you how wrong you are, that Jesus will tie you up with with teaching that will drain the, the fun out of life, or even that he is some myth or legend, then you're going to be pretty lackluster about this. Whereas if your view of Jesus is that he wants you to live life to the maximum, to know who you are, who you're meant to be, and to bring that into being, then you're going to sit up and you're going to take notice. And speaking from my own experience, that is exactly who Jesus is. He's a lot more passionate, a lot more embracing of life, a lot more personal and challenging and wilder than I ever realized. As much as I do appreciate the aliveness of riding on a steam train, following Jesus can feel like throwing yourself off a cliff with a bungee rope of faith tied around your ankle. That can be the ride of our devotion. But again, devotion extends beyond this definition because it is also 
something that implies a setting apart, a slowing down, a, a sacred act. And when it comes to being more devoted to Jesus, you don't get very far in your reading of the, the Bible, of that book that records God's self-revelation, God's telling through history of who he is and what it means to know him. You don't get very far before you hit on methods of devotion. And the questions that come with that are along these lines. And even if you're not a Christian, you, like me, will have concerns about where our culture is at. Because all is not healthy out there in the world. And that often means that all is not healthy in here, in my inner life and being. And these questions are for all of us. How do we live a slower life in a culture that accelerates daily? How do we live a deeper life in a culture that seems increasingly thin? How do we live a more centered life in a culture that is fragmenting? How do we live a self-giving life in a culture that is all about me? And do I keep blaming the culture for what it isn't? Or do I look to myself and ask what is and what could be? These are questions that we all have. And devoted can be misunderstood because in setting apart and and slowing down, you can become absent from the world and irrelevant with the message. And the way I read it with, with Jesus, God wanted to be so present, so present in the world that he was compelled to send Jesus, his son, to be fully human, fully immersed in the mess that surrounds us. And Jesus, when he spoke, was so relevant, so engaging that crowds ran to listen to him and eventually there was a need to silence him. Being more devoted, for me, isn't retreating within ourselves into our most comfortable prayers and never coming back. It isn't gaining knowledge for for knowledge's sake. I'd say, give me one of Jesus' parables. The Good Samaritan, for example, where religious leaders were, were shamed by someone who was supposedly from the other side. Shamed in a a random act of of kindness. Know that parable, only that parable, and live that parable out daily. Give me a lifetime of that and it will still be challenging me. And being more devoted for me isn't about becoming driven, becoming a a victim of our desire for Christian success and notoriety and beating ourselves up if we fall short of our spiritual aspirations. Being devoted is living the ordinary life well even at times miraculously well with the help of Jesus. Now what passes with me from the end part of last year into this year, what has become essential in in living the ordinary life well are three prayers that I've formed. Call it a a daily compass, a, a devotion in the fast lane. And I'll give you this, not because they are particularly well written, but because I've found that it works and it's practical. It's practical and you can pass it on. It's something you can attempt. And first thing when I wake in the morning, I pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I am alive. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. Lord Jesus, help me to live this day well for you. Then at midday, once the day is in full flow and the, and the blinkers are on, if you know what I mean, and I need to expand my sight to what I'm not seeing, I pray, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've been at work. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're going to be at work. Holy Spirit, alert me to what you are doing now. And finally, last thing at night, as I go to sleep, knowing that I'm human and I'm fragile and I'm flawed, I pray, Father, I thank you for the day that has gone. 
Father, show me where I've abused your grace. Father, forgive me. Father, receive me into your rest. And you may be hearing those and thinking, I don't even believe in God. Why would I pray? But I've known people who have started praying long before they fully believed. And it is what that conversation with God has done in them. Seeing the outworking of those prayers that has led them into faith in Jesus. So don't get too fixed on the words. Start and continue the conversation. And when it comes to devotion, I also find myself caught in a place of tension. And that isn't a bad thing. I found that it can be healthy when it comes to pursuing and learning more of God. And there are three tensions in me when it comes to my relationship with God. The first is between familiarity and holiness. Familiarity with God where he becomes my best friend and it is the the language of of being very pally and holiness. Where it is only on my knees and in humble surrender that I can enter God's presence. The second is between spontaneity and habit. Spontaneity where it is an emotion that prompts and a prayer goes up and it's where my thumb stops in the pages of the Bible that I start reading. But then there is habit where it's what I do every day. Praying morning, midday and evening, reading the Psalms, reading the Old Testament and the, and the New with continuity. The third tension is between action and silence. Action where it is faith through pursuit, through energy, through manpower. And silence where it is faith through waiting, through praying, through the supernatural. All three healthy tensions that God won't let me resolve because it is in the wrestling that I get spiritually fit. In Jeremiah, one of the books in the Old Testament, the prophet, he was, he was a prophet. He speaks these words, and I've got to be careful here because it's, 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 it's a short part of a, a much larger piece of writing. But I'm sure it speaks now. And it's what I want to pray as I finish. In chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. We all have the capacity for devotion. That doesn't require God, although I would argue that he set that in place when he created us. And we may be standing at a crossroads in our lives. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I pray for each of us. Lord, we have the capacity to devote ourselves. We will have, through our lives, devoted ourselves to things, to people. And as good as that may well be, Lord, I pray now for each of us. Lord, if there's people here who don't yet know you and you're off in the distance somewhere, Lord, I pray because it is so supremely important that they will devote themselves this year to asking questions, to testing you out, to praying, Lord God, to experience in you in a meaningful way. Lord, and for us who have known you longer, wherever we're at with that, no matter how long we've known you, I pray that we would devote ourselves again this year to you. Lord, that we wouldn't be caught in anything that's, that's old, that just seems like this year is going to be the same as last year in our relationship with you, in, in all that you're asking of us. 
Lord, but we could experience a richness, a, a newness. Lord, a, a passion within us that we once had that is rising again because we devote ourselves to you. And Lord, let's give it 12 months. And if at the end of 12 months, God, I believe that you will have more than proved yourself through our devotion to you. So I pray that through your Holy Spirit for each of us. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Simon, if you want to go for it. Got a tag team going on this morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Thank you. Bit of reciprocation there. Fantastic. I don't know about you. Who's up to date on their Bible reading plans? It's only been five days, so I hope you are. Um, I've got a confession I actually missed yesterday. I haven't done today's yet, but the important thing, guys, is to keep going. I want to encourage you all, if you miss a day, pick it up the next, keep going. Uh, it'll really do you well this year. So I love the new year. I love the celebration, the excitement of seeing a new year in. I love the optimism that a new year holds, and I love the fact that we get to start again to leave the past behind, to leave behind what may have been a rubbish year. And then we can make plans, can't we? We can set goals. We can dream dreams of how this year it's going to be different. But in order for this to happen, though, we have to do things differently, don't we? We can't expect the same results if we keep doing the same thing, which is why, in my opinion, it's important to look back to look back on the previous year, to look back on what things worked well and what things didn't work well so that we can learn from them, so that we can make changes, so that we don't repeat those same mistakes. And this is great advice to, to everyone here this morning, even if you're not a Christian. You see, it will help you in your year ahead. You see, by looking back, we learn, don't we? We can learn from the mistakes we have made and then by doing things differently, by making a change, um, you're giving yourself the opportunity of a different, of a better year. <laughs> uh, and then for the Christians here this morning, I want to say this is huge. This is bigger. And it's huge because we need to look back to remind ourselves of when God was at work in our lives, during the good and the bad you see, we need, to be, we need to be reminded, don't we, of his faithfulness, of his blessing, of his comfort, of his peace, of his provision, of his guidance, of his love, and of his grace. Whatever it is that God gave to you when you needed it the most, we need to be reminded, don't we? And this will help us uh, in our coming year ahead. Because you see, as a Christian, we know, you know, that God's grace is sufficient. And when we look back, we remind ourselves of that, don't we? And we remind ourselves of what God did so we know, in order to know what God can do. So we can be confident in, we can have a hope in that God is with us. That God is for us in everything we face in our future. And I don't know about you sat here this morning... But this changes something within me. It calls something out of me. Um, it warrants a response. It convicts me to respond. 
And my response is this. This year, Lord, I want to hold nothing back. I want to be the person that you've created me to be. I want to stop myself from getting in the way of what you want to do through me. I've realized that to live a bigger, bolder, braver life as we kicked off last year, I have to hold nothing back. See, last year again was another incredible year for me. But some of the lessons I've learned from it, when we look back, and, and this is huge as well, we look back to encourage us to spur us on, to move us forward. It's the Apostle Paul himself who said to press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I love this verse. It excites me. It means to me that I'm to excel, to to really strive to be my best, to be Christ-like, so that I get to see Christ. And there really is no greater prize than that. And I want to achieve it. And possibly to achieve it, I have to hold nothing back. You see, God holds nothing back from us. So this year, I want to try and hold nothing back from him. And when it comes to loving others, people different from myself, I want to hold nothing back. When it comes to serving others, putting other people's needs before my own, I want to hold nothing back. When it comes to giving, trusting God with my finances, blessing others with what God's given to me, I want to hold nothing back. When it comes to listening to God and acting upon the things he said to me, I want to hold nothing back. When it comes to my prayer life, reading and applying God's word to my life, I want to hold nothing back. And when it comes to sharing Christ with others, in words, in action, and in grace, I want to hold nothing back. When it comes to being a better friend, a better father, a better husband, a better follower of Christ, I want to hold nothing back. And as I've looked back, I've realized that I have been holding back, not intentionally all the time, but there's a part of me that I've kept control of. And this may be out of fear, out of self-preservation, out of not wanting to look like an idiot when I share my faith with someone but out of possibly not trusting God at the beginning of a difficult situation, but then wholeheartedly praising him as he's brought me through it. See, whatever the reason, the lesson I've learned as a result of looking back is that God is faithful, that he can be trusted, and that I don't have to hold anything back. And in fact, God wants me to hold nothing back. See, I've learned that God's favour in my life is not getting everything I want from him, but it is being used by him to accomplish everything he wants through me. And for this to happen, I want to hold nothing back. To be a world changer, you have to have influence. And I want to say that every one of you in this room has influence. Maybe not on a global scale but you have the influence to change the world around you with the people you come into contact with. I want to encourage you to hold nothing back. And you may have all heard the quote, live every day like it's your last. I don't disagree with that. But as Christians, I want to say live 
every day like it's your first? See, because you all remember the first time you gave your life to Christ. You held nothing back. There was no fear. You were bold in declaring your faith. And I want to say nothing's changed from that moment. That reality is still the same. Hold nothing back. And those that aren't Christians here this morning, you may be exploring, you may be checking this out. You see, this year, you want to be different. You want the year to be different. And it may be your first time. And I want to say, well done to you. It's an amazing privilege to see you here. And actually, you're much braver than I am. I walked into this church nine years ago, today, roughly. (laughs) It was the first Sunday of the new year, but I didn't make it into this auditorium. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're braver than me. I found an empty room downstairs where no one was there. Uh, And as I heard the words that were spoken, they changed my life. They changed my life because I decided to come back, to give it a go, to hold nothing back. And it's here. I really want to push the Alpha course again. You know, it starts um, a week on Monday, the 13th of January, 7.30 in the community zone. It's an, it's an eight-week course. It's a fantastic course. Many are sitting here as Christians, giving their life to Christ as a result of that course, and that's fantastic. We've heard some amazing stories this year, haven't we, as a church, and that's been so inspiring. You know, it's, a, it's an environment, it's a safe environment. We start with food, and just come for the food, if nothing else, it's fantastic. But you can come with your questions. You can come with um, just exploring it. There'll be no pressure. We really want to work, walk this um, journey out um, with you. So that's next Monday. Uh, the week on Monday, the 13th of January. And again, if you're sitting here, um, it's, sorry, I've lost my place. It changed, it changed my life, that, the Alpha course as well, seeing those people come through it. You know, I'm still growing with some of those guys. Um, and I just want to say, please give it a try. I'd love to speak to you after the service. If this is your first time uh, and you want to come back and explore, I would say hold nothing back. And as I finish, that's really my challenge to every single one of us in this room. This year, Lord, I want to hold nothing back. Great. So this morning, you get three for the price of one. Isn't that exciting? And actually, after the first service, somebody down in the coffee shop came up to me and says, oh, that was great, that was. And this is what they took, took away from it. It went up in ages, didn't it? That is the wisdom she took away from what we shared this morning, that I'm the eldest out of the three. feel a little bit like Yoda here trying to share some uh, inspiration with you or some wisdom. I hope that they, they took a little bit more than, oh, it went up in age and you're the eldest. Factually true, but discouraging anyway. So um, I want to do something here with this flip chart. And so, um, <laughs> Ben, will you come and join me for a moment? Just a little round of applause for Ben. You, you see Ben often on the piano doing an amazing job, but you also can stand and look gormless in front of all you and think, why have you picked me on the first Sunday of the New Year? So what I'd like you to do, Ben, is to come and stand and face the people, but with your back on the flip chart. And then I'd like you to bend down a little bit, kind of as low as you can, and then put your head to the, to the, to the, to the thing, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> 
All right. So if I could rewind the clock a minute. No, just, <laughs> just, just go down a little lower and then just stay there. Then bring your head back. Keep it there. Keep it there. That's it. Now get a little higher. And one more. Thank you, Ben. You did a fantastic job. You can sit down. Round of applause for Ben. <laughs> You'll remember the first thing of the new year when I embarrassed you. I'm sorry about that. So what am I doing? Growing. I'm measuring growth. How many of you have done that with your little kids when they were little? Ever done it? Against the door frame? Is that where you've done it? Against the door frame, against the wall? That's often what parents do, is that they get their kids to stand in front of something and they mark it. And what they're doing is they're measuring growth. And everything or everyone who's healthy should grow. Anything that's healthy should grow. And what we do is we look at markers of growth. And we know someone's growing because there are markers, there are indicators of growth. Some of you came to me over Christmas and said it was really nice to see Simeon, our, our youngest son, who many of you know has got special needs, so he doesn't live with us. And he came on Christmas Day, he doesn't often get the chance to come. And you hadn't seen him for a long time. And many of you came and you said, hey, hasn't he grown? And you know he's grown because you haven't seen him for a long time and he's really big and got a beard. So there are some markers that he's actually grown. Okay, And we look for that in children and we look for that as people grow but here's the thing all of us should be growing all of us should be growing some of us will want to shrink after Christmas and we're growing in the wrong direction but all of us should be growing as human beings I saw this on, on, on a birthday card that somebody had written this on a birthday card you can be you are you're you're young once you're only young once but you can be immature forever you're only young once but you can be immature forever and what I want to share this morning is this. This year, Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow. And uh, we haven't really compared notes, the three of us, on this morning. But I think this really kind of fit together. Because if we want to be more devoted, if we want to hold nothing back, it kind of comes out of this whole idea that this year, Lord, I want to grow. I don't want to stay the same I want to grow. And in order to grow, we need to know what the markers of growth are in our lives. A lot of what I want to say, I guess, is a little bit more geared towards those of you that would say that you're a follower of Jesus, that you're a believer. But if you're not this morning, I hope that you also want to grow as a person. You know, and whether you set goals or resolutions, and I know from the first service, many people don't do that or they don't want to admit that. And I'll challenge that a little bit later on. Whether you call them goals or resolutions or whatever, if we want to grow, we've got to do something in order to grow. It doesn't happen by chance. It doesn't happen by somebody coming and sprinkling magic growth dust over us. It doesn't just happen. We have to do something. And so right now, I've, over Christmas and New Year, I've gone through the whole process for myself. Got a whole load of uh, things that I want to see grow. I want to grow in the physical part of my life, health and fitness and all of that, relationally, uh, financially, spiritually, as a leader, as a husband, as a father. All these areas, I want to grow. I don't want to be the same marker as I was this year. I want to grow. Anyone agree with me? I want to grow. I want to grow. And um, this is my kind of thing. This year, Lord, I want to grow. So a little boy fell out of the bed in his sleep. His father picked him up and put him back in bed. And he asked him, son, what happened? The little boy responded, I fell asleep too close to where I got in. What a great little phrase. I fell asleep too close to where I got in. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I hope this helps you. But I want to speak especially to those of you who are followers. Because it's my conviction that we become a follower of Jesus and we can fall asleep too close to where we get in. And we can be a Christian for years, if not decades, and never really grow. And that's not how it should be. 
So a few years ago, uh, a guy that I is uh, kind of a leadership mentor of mine from a distance, don't really know him, a guy called Bill Hybels from America, he, he drew this and it really gripped me and I've shared this with many of you uh, before. And this is what he, he suggested, that if you imagine this to be time, okay, that this is time, if you imagine this to be the kind of like effectiveness of you as a Christian in, order, uh, in terms of sharing your faith with other people, and he said, this is what happens. At the moment you become a Christian. So for me, I was 15 when I became a Christian. So this year is my 33rd year as a Christian, which is really exciting. But I became a Christian at 15. That's the moment I became a Christian. What he says is this. Most Christians, most Christians, over the course of their life, all right, this is what happens. They become a Christian. They get really, really excited, okay? They have lots of non-Christian friends and relationships. But over time, those non-Christian relationships begin to diminish, so the only friends that they begin to get are Christian friends. So in terms of their effectiveness in sharing their faith, it starts to drop off. And then over time what happens is that they don't talk about God much with other people who aren't Christians. That, over time, that's generally what happens. They don't invite people to events and stuff so that by the time they die, RIP, they're actually at their least effective in terms of sharing the good news. Now when I saw that, I thought, dear God, that shouldn't be right, should it? And then he said, this is what he said, this is actually what should happen, that from the moment you become a Christian, you're so in love with God, you're so passionate about following God, that you want to almost like seek out people who don't yet know God, and you want to share your faith with them. Can I just say, there's a little thing, so interesting. I've got a guy that I've uh, becoming friends with, and he would say he's an agnostic, he's been to this church, he's been on an Alpha course, and um, he went on the Alpha course, thought it was really good, but he's still an agnostic. In other words, he's not sure whether he believes in God or not. Someone in his work talked about Christianity, and he said to that person, you should go on an Alpha course. That person went, and they became a Christian. <laughs> so my agnostic friend led someone else to Christ. It's crazy, isn't it? That's just as a, an aside, okay? So what should happen as we grow is that we want to talk to more people of spiritual conversations. We want to invite more people so that the moment, the time when we come to kick the bucket as it is and kind of go and be with God, we should be our most effective in terms of sharing the gospel. We should grow. Now that's what he shared a few years ago. And I'm beginning to think that this kind of principle applies to lots of things. What about our passion for God? Over time, does it go down or does it go up? What about our sensitivity to the things of God? You know, when I first became a Christian, you know, I was so sensitive about wanting to please God. And, and if I'd done anything wrong, oh God, does that mean that you don't love me anymore? I, I think I became a Christian every week for like three months, you know, just to because I was wanting to please God. Or over time, do we get a little bit insensitive? Does our heart get a little bit harder? Do we not step out of the boat like we used to? You know, we used to step out of the boat and take risks. We used to hold nothing back, like Simon said, in the early days. But now, well, we've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years. We're kind of a little bit more sensible. We're a little bit less naive. We're a little bit more measured. Or are we actually, actually, are we not growing? Are we diminishing? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that every single one of us can and should grow. If we fall asleep too close to where we get in, we could fall out of that bed and that would be tragic. And what I want to do this morning is to talk to you from Luke chapter 2, just for a few minutes. I've only got a few minutes. And this is the bit in the Christmas story, if you like, where 
After the Christmas story, when we all kind of put it aside and think, well, that's the Christmas story done for another year. There's some fascinating stuff at the end of Luke 2, which is when Jesus is still a baby and then a young boy. And I want to just bring out a few thoughts from this. So in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus as the eight-day-old baby to the temple for kind of ceremony and purification rites and all of that. And this is what it says. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was waiting for God to do something in his nation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, okay? He would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Here's this guy, it doesn't say he's old, but the, but the insinuation or the, or the implication rather is that he's old. He's waiting and waiting, he's faithful, he's devout, and when God comes in the form of this baby, he embraces him in his arms. Now, a few verses later, there was also a prophet called Anna. She was very old, okay, so he's old, I think, but this girl is very old. And listen to this, she lived with her husband seven years after a marriage. And then she was a widow until she was 84. So, so imagine, okay, she's not a Christian because this is before Christ, but she's a believer, she's devout, she's faithful, she loves God. She's been married just for seven years, and then she's a widow till the age of 84. Now, you'd expect that someone like that might say, hang on a minute, God, what's going on? You know, I'm devout, I'm faithful. You know, what? she could be very hard-hearted, couldn't she? She could be very bitter. She could be very resentful towards God. But this is what it says about her. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, this old lady is not on this kind of trajectory with a hard heart. She is actually passionate, worship. And when she sees the baby Jesus, she can't help talk to everybody about who it is. I love that, don't you? And I look at these two people and I think, and this is my first point, you can grow even when you're older. And I don't mean older in age, I mean older in faith. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you can still grow. Simeon and Anna are proof that you can be older believers who are still growing in who you are as a person, in your relationship with God, in the use of spiritual gifts, in all of these kind of things that we often associate with people who first come to faith, you can grow even when you're older. And it's tragic when people stop growing. It's tragic when you meet older believers who stopped growing a long time ago. And how do you know whether someone's growing? What, what are, if you like, what, what are some of the kind of markers, you know, that we looked at here? What are some of the measuring kind of markers in our kind of spiritual growth? Let me give you three from this story. Great character. Great character is a marker of growth. I look at Simeon and Anna and they're faithful and they're devout and they're consistent. And that doesn't happen easily or quickly. That's growth. That's intention. That's discipline. That's habit. That's all fantastic things. There's sensitivity to the Spirit of God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon and it moved Simeon. He listened to the voice of the Spirit. You know, as you get older, you you can go the opposite way sometimes. You can think, oh, God used to speak to me loads when I was a a young believer, but not now because I'm more experienced. God still speaks now. God still moves us now by His Spirit. And then, and this is the third marker, if you like, embracing the new thing that God is doing. When the, the new thing, when the Messiah comes in, 
Simeon opens his arms and embraces him. Deborah embraces him. They're older people who are waiting. And when the new thing comes, they don't react like many old people do at times by saying, oh, it's not like it was in our day. Or we didn't do it this way. No, they embrace it and they say, this is the new thing that God is doing. That is an older person who is growing, not who is diminishing. And I don't know about you, but I'm in that kind of category now because I've been a Christian. I'm into my fourth decade. I want to keep growing. Anyone else out there? I want to keep growing. I want to keep growing. You know, what can happen is that over time we can get hard. We can get bitter. We can get, we can get cynical. And we don't want to be like that. So say at the start of this year, Lord, I want to grow. I've been a Christian a long time, but I want to keep growing. But here's my second thought for you. Let's go on in Luke chapter 2, verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Second point is this. You can grow even when you're younger. So you can grow when you're older and you've been a believer a long time. But you can grow when you're younger as well. And for some of you, you may only just become a Christian in the last few weeks or months. You can grow. A little Jesus grew there in, in wisdom and in stature. And then in a few years later, when he was 12, they lose him and they find him in the temple. And it says that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature and favour with God and man. That's not bad, is it? That's not a bad prayer. God, this year, will I, could I grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God? That's amazing. How did he do it? He kept growing. He was intentional. He was in a place with other people listening to teaching. Not only was he listening to the teaching, he was asking questions. You will not grow this year. You will not grow unless you listen to teaching, great teaching, and unless you ask questions. They are two fantastic principles. Don't just come to church and sit there and kind of zone out, but listen, write stuff down, ask questions. When you get in a life group, when you get with other people, ask questions. That's how we grow. When we read stuff, when we listen to stuff, when we interact, when we apply, that is how we grow. You can grow when you're younger and you can grow when you're older. But here's the question I want to leave you with. How are you going to do that? How am I going to grow this year? How many of you would say that you want to grow this year? You're all going to say it, okay? You're all going to say it. I know that. But here's the question, how many of you know what you're going to do in order for you to grow? I see that might be a different response. And I know that many people say, oh, I'm not a goal setter. I don't believe in resolutions. Well, listen, I don't care what you call it, but you will not grow without doing something. You will not grow without doing something. There is no magic growth dust that somebody's going to sprinkle over your life. One of the best phrases I've heard the last couple of years is a phrase from a guy called Andy Stanley. He said this, direction, not intention, will determine your destination. Direction, not intention, will determine your destination. Let me give you an example. Tomorrow, I have to fly to Belfast. I have to go to Ireland for two days. I'm going to go to Birmingham Airport. I've booked in on a flight to Belfast because that's where I want to go. Imagine I turn up at the airport tomorrow and instead of the easy jet flight to Belfast, I go on a first class virgin flight to Hawaii. Actually, now you've come to mention it, that's, <laughs> why don't I do that? No, because I don't want to go to Hawaii, I want to go to Belfast for two days. And so, if I want to go there, I have got to get on the right flight that's going there. Direction, not intention, will determine our destination. You say you want to grow, then do the things that will make you grow. It's no good just saying, I wish, I hope, 
I want, I could, it might be, I have to do something. And for me, that means I need to write it down, I need to review it, I need to say, these are the things that will make me grow. God, by your help and by your grace, help me set these as directional things in my life. Because it's not just my wishful thinking that will cause me to grow. It is only as I do things, and you by your spirit, you know, can't join me in that, that these things will happen. So what I want to do is give you two things that you can kick off the year with. Number one, turn up. Turn up to the first series that we're going to look at this year. It starts on the 19th of January. It's called Follow. I'm so excited about this series. I've just rediscovering some stuff in the New Testament that I just had forgotten about or didn't even know was there. 23 times in the Bible, it's Jesus says, follow me. What does it mean to really follow Christ? Not just to be a follower, but to be following I want to encourage you to turn up that series. It's going to blow your mind, some of the stuff that we're, that we're discovering in that book. Uh, in, that, in that kind of theme really, those four weeks. And the second thing I want to encourage you is to check out at the back the personal, the spiritual MOT that we want to run at the end of this month and the beginning of February. It's a new thing. Someone in the church has brought it to us and we've, we're, we're working together on that. And we're very excited about that. It's four hours of your life. Two hours one Saturday morning, two hours the following Saturday morning. So it's an investment, but in that time we will guide you and we will help you look back over 2013, process some of the stuff that God has done or some of the experiences you've had, really look at what you believe God is saying to you this year, begin to pray prophetically into your life, speak into your life, encourage it, begin to set some directional things so that come this time next year, you can look back and you say, do you know what? I didn't go like this. I actually went like this. And there were some very real markers of growth in my life. So I want to encourage you. I make no bones. I know Saturdays are precious, but if you really want to grow, you'd give four hours a Saturday morning. We give four hours on Saturday to all kinds of stuff, don't we? Which is really important. How about our spiritual growth being really important as well? Why don't we pray? Father, thank you for speaking to us, Lord, on this first Sunday. God, I believe that wherever your word is opened, God, you'll speak if we've got ears to hear. So God, thank you. And for what you've said through us, Lord, uh, the three of us, God, I pray that you take that and amplify it through your spirit. Because what you've got to say is far more important than anything we've got to say. So God, help us, I pray. And now, God, as we take communion together on the first Sunday of this new year, God, we pray that all of this will be centered around who you are. Because, Lord, we don't just want to grow because we want to grow. We want to grow to become more like Jesus. And we won't grow to become like Jesus without the spirit of Jesus at work within us. And we want to do all of that for the glory of God. Amen.